everybody to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Podcast. I'm Alan Stevens, and as we get started, just want to remind you that we are part of the Morelia Python Radio Network, and uh, Eric's doing some, some hard work through the ups and downs of life and being sick, so um, we really just appreciate all that he does uh, to help get this information out to people uh, behind the, the, the scenes work that he's doing, not just for this podcast, uh, but several different podcasts. I mean, there's Morelia Python Radio, uh, Herp History, Carpet Cliff Notes, Carpets and Coffee, uh, the Field Herping Podcast, the Australian Herpeticulture Podcast, Reptile Fight Club, and the Colibrid and Colibroid Podcast. Ha <laughs> I actually had to go down the list and read them all, name them all there. But some great people, some great hosts, uh, a lot of good information out there. Um, I really suggest that you get on there, check them out. Uh, if you have other reptiles, you're interested in different things, or you just want to hear some great minds talking about stuff, some guys that have been around and uh, new things they're trying, you know, just check in, uh, find a topic you like, read through the the uh, little headers, and if there's something you're interested in, give it a listen and uh, kind of expand your horizon, so to speak. So you can also go onto the website, MoreliaPythonRadio.net, and check out all that they have there, some cool pics. Uh, there's stores on there. Uh, they'll list the podcast themselves and also their Patreon if you'd like to support them. So that being said, of course, I'm here with Kai. Kai, how are you? Hey, man, not too bad. I'm kind of busy. I mean, I, I kind of say the same thing every time. And, um, yeah, I'm swamped up to my neck and stuff. So That's good. That's good, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Now, you say that, Kai, but uh, anybody that follows Kai online knows that um, you had some recent heartbreak due to some some television show mishaps going on over there. So I know, I know there is some downtime. I don't watch that show, but uh, I felt your pain, man. If it was <laughs> enough for you to post about it, I, I feel you. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I watched like maybe a couple shows and I keep up with like, they're just, I don't know why I follow them, but yeah, I, I like a lot of first responder shows for some reason, you know? Um, yeah, man. And uh, one of my favorite characters is like dying or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah i get attached to those characters you know there's a name for that kai i'll share it with you it, it's called a badge bunny yeah oh, you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> at least you own up to it at least you know. <laughs> yeah, man, uh, but yeah uh, getting back to the podcast a little bit, uh, <laughs> um uh, we have a really special guest today uh this uh topic or more so of variety of topics um, isn't one that's always practiced a lot. You know, not everybody really goes to the vet. Um, some people go when they really have to. Some people, um, you know, I don't know, maybe cut corners and get medicine through a, a secondhand deal. But when it all comes down to it, a lot of us need to go to the vet sometimes, you know. Um, it's, a, it's an important thing where it's good to have as a backup, it's good to have a relationship with a vet. Um, it's good to be able to, you know, keep up with some of your animals on a more in tuned level rather than just going by the whim or guessing or, or more so of just the, uh, you know, letting things take its course. Sometimes we're actually able to intervene or more so of just follow through with the process and get an a better idea. Um, that's my take on the vet because before I used to be the 
the keeper that was more hesitant to go to the vet, right? Or more so I couldn't afford it. Um, you know, things were at a somewhat point where I didn't have to really go to the vet. I really just needed to see it through, you know, but some things now that I deal with now, like wounds and infections or um, gravid females, um, looking at x-rays, broken bones, all those are part of my breeding life now, regardless of what I, whether or not I, I want it in my whole normal every day. It's uh, my animals fight or they get they don't get along or some things I, I possibly let slip through the cracks and maybe an animal got sick or an infection um, festered or something like that. And I had to go to the vet, you know, um, and those times have been really lifesavers for for me and my animals, my whole collection, and and just about how I go about things with, with them. I kind of not never turn a blind eye at stuff anymore. I want to make sure that I'm paying attention to stuff. And um, a lot of you guys hopefully will be able to gather something from this podcast um, with our guests here today. Um, first, I want to congratulate you, Ro, for. Um, do you want to explain, uh, Eric? Uh, we have Eric camp on on today and uh you want to explain just what you just graduated yeah, to so um i am a current fourth year at the university of florida college of veterinary medicine so in may i will graduate with my dvm and so my nice. yeah thank you nice. and so my goals are to enter exotic animal medicine so treating like rabbits rodents ferrets birds i especially want to focus on reptiles they've been a big part of my life and i actually want to specialize and become a board certified reptile amphibian vet so help provide quality care to these animals. Thank you. Very cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we don't have too many of those, mm. you know, so they're very far and few 100%. in between. Yeah, and it's like the, the board certification process is, it's interesting. So the path that I want to go down is like, um, so if you ever go to like a veterinarian's website, you, you may see like the abbreviation, like AVDP next to it. So that's the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners. And through this organization, there's actually is a specialty for reptile amphibian medicine. And it's actually relatively new. There's only 12 recognized people currently in the United States. And to do it, you can either do like a internship and like a residency. So that's like usually like a three, four year course, or you can practice in private practice, build up a caseload. And then through all of it, you're contributing to the literature. So you're publishing case reports, you're, um, reading all the journals, you're trying to just grab as much knowledge as you can. And it's on all different reptiles, so crocodilians, your lizards, snakes, chelonians, and then all the different types of amphibians. And then you sit down for like a two day board exam. So it's a very, it's a very intense process. And for me, I want to go the private practice route. So it's going to be a process like five, six years in the making, but I, it's definitely something I want to do and I wow. want to pursue. Yeah. 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 Good luck to you. And, and, you know, I hope you get there because one, selfishly, we need it. Um, it would only do the hobby more good to have more people uh, like yourself going in that direction. So, um, yeah, best of luck with Thank all you. that. I'm yeah, happy no, to hear. It. As like a keeper myself, like it, I definitely can. I definitely want to help bridge that gap, and I definitely want to help provide. You know, not just from the veterinary side, but also from the keeper side to provide like a whole holistic type of care for these animals. Yeah, right. That, that's that's that, good, yeah. man. Because that's kind of what we're always doing, right? We find like home remedies, mm. you know what I mean, um, or stuff you can just just do um, do without the vet sometimes, you know. But uh, those those are also 
you're you're taking a lot of risk because mm-hmm. a lot of times you don't know what you're doing and um you know it's just not it's not always good practice to just to just bust out and the medicine without really know knowing what you have to do mm-hmm. where to place it uh, measurements things yeah. like that um even myself i find myself because i'm not equipped with needles that well right uh, my lady still does a lot of the injections for me because she's pretty well rehearsed because she goes to nursing school um so she's really really um well practiced and well rehearsed how to how to deal with medicines and measurements and all yeah that no stuff it's like that. yeah it's super so, important like especially like kind of what you were touching on so with the different conditions like it's like you were saying if you just kind of give medicines to the animal it can you can almost like in, like you can almost like make something worse so you know common thing that reptiles have especially wild caught ones you know they have parasites but you know and like i've actually really loved my parasitology courses throughout my vet school career and there are a lot of different parasites. You know, you have your nematodes, like which are like your roundworms or hookworms. You've got tapeworms. You've got your flukes. You've got a lot of different parasites, and they all are. Even though they're all worms, they all are phylogenetically very, very different. And so, different drugs will target them. So, like for instance, like Panicure or like Pembendazole will target your nematodes really well. But if you have a tapeworm infection, it's not going to touch them. So. It's really important. So like in Fembendazole, in you know, even like reptiles and in, you know, your mammal species, some of them, like it can cause some really bad toxicities if you don't have the dosage right or you don't, if you give too much or you, if you're giving too little, you can promote resistance. So kind of like how in human medicine, there's like resistance to bacteria and like we're kind of having that as a big problem. That's also something that can happen with your parasites. So it's really important just to be able to know what you're doing. And so like going to a vet who's had that training can help you kind of guide you through that process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't really know what to do until Dr. Greek, um, who's a pretty well-known vet here in Southern California. Um, he, after me going in so much, so much, he's like, you just want to take a bottle home? And I was like, all right, let me, no one, no, events never offered mm-hmm. me that. And then he just had another tech kind of just come in and, show me how to do it and in the front arm muscle and um yeah that's that was that was really it um but you know i I would expect he just have me come in and come in and come in and come in but it's a lot easier for me to just have it frozen in the freezer and Mm -hmm. let it warm up real quick and basically give the injections when i need to you know by weight and measurement and stuff um but yeah it's uh for me it's i'd say it's been that um that really clutch game where, you know, I, I, I can't, um, I can't think it enough for having those, the, the, the anti antibiotics mm-hmm. around me and everything like that. Um, the, the amount of time it takes once you've used it to heal speeds it up yeah. so much, um, for, for the ones that are, um, dealing with infection, or possibly a wound so big that it'll need antibiotics um, because it, it'll probably easily get infected. Mm. You know, um, the little—I would say the little superficial wounds. You know, they kind of just heal pretty quickly, but the deep muscle wounds and everything like that, those ones take a little bit more time. Yeah, um, and I find that sometimes it may not have really been an infection, but a couple of days in, I'll see how it's healing. And then if the wound seems to be really, really pussy and not really responding well or mending well, then I'll essentially give it an injection. I kind of 
do give it a little bit of time on its own. If it if it just if the seams heal really well, it's scabbed over, um, and it's not like pussing or oozing or you know it's basically really puffy looking, then I'll kind of just leave it alone. But if I seem to notice that it's swelling up, if I do squeeze at it, a lot of a lot of pus and everything yeah. comes out of it too. Um, I'll definitely know. Um, but it definitely has saved a lot of my time, my animals' time, and you know the overall healing process for them. It's been set, sped up really well. Um, yeah, man, I I I, uh, I deal with a lot of wetness in some of mm-hmm. my enclosures where they you know coming out of the water dish. And um, the wounds on their toes, or they have wounds, you know, on their arms and toes, because that's where they bite each other sometimes the most, right? And you can rarely ever tell because they're covered in dirt and all yeah. that. And so when it's dirt and wetness and poop, and you know, they've jumped in and out of their fecal matter water, and <clears throat> that can basically harbor more bacteria than good than do any good, you know. And so what I do is I remove the whole water dish. I give them just little cups, so they really hate it, but it's actually good. good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they hate when I take out the water dish, but um, what I'm doing is eliminating their ability to get soggy and wet or or essentially what I'm trying to really do is keep the wound dry, right? Mm-hmm. Keep it from getting any type of major wetness. Mm-hmm. So that'll lessen the chance of bacteria harboring more and more mm-hmm. and more. And then also the medicine is where, <clears throat> what I'm using f- at home, you know. Um, have you had to do anything like that with your guys yet or or any of the the, the reptiles you have? Or, or what are you practicing like when you are norm- doing your normal stuff now? Um, yeah, um, I mean, for me, I have one. So I have my Aki monitor. He's a red Aki. His name's Charizard. So I just kind of, a lot of times I'm just monitoring him. So it's just kind of monitoring his activity, just monitoring like, just, you know, he's usually a very active lizard, so I usually am just looking at him. He usually crawls like right up my arm, so I'm just kind of just giving him like a cursory, like physical exam, essentially. I'm just like looking at his arms, looking at how he moves. I'm just like on, like monitoring his behavior and his meditation. Um, I've had a couple instances where he's kind of, where I've, you know, either he's done it to himself or I've accidentally done it just like kind of petting him, like looking at um, stuck shed. He's gotten some like very superficial wounds. Um, I've kind of, I've done both options. Um, one option I brought, I did bring him to the vet one time. I just wanted to make sure he didn't have any stuck shed and it wasn't like a necrotic type thing. And, um, he was fine. And then another time I had a butterfly cage as I was getting him out some outdoor UVB access. I wanted to, you know, he's as you know, you guys know, working with monitors, they will run whenever they get a chance. So I to keep him contained oh, yeah. and just let him get some sun. And he kept on rubbing his nose and I kept on monitoring it. And I tried to like, put in a bunch of different hides and other things he could climb on and distract him. But eventually he just rubbed it to the point he rubbed it raw. And at that point I just was like, you know what? Like I brought him into the vet already to, for a very superficial abrasion. So I'm like, I just talked to the vets. I'm like, Hey, if I just monitor this at home since he was in, so like he was in like so recently, like, would that be okay? And then knowing, like, yeah. So then I just kind of monitored it. I was just looking at his snout just for any sign, like the same things you were saying, pus, if it wasn't healing properly. And so, it really is just like a case by case basis. I think the most important thing is just to monitor your animal, like monitor its fe- its fecal and urate output, make sure it's eating, it's behaving normally, and just kind of keeping tabs on just taking like getting a chance just to look at it, whether you're handling it or you're just seeing it as you're running around the cage. Like a lot of times, I have a camera that's positioned at the cage, so when I'm out 
running around, it will detect if he's running around and it'll detect his motion. So I can say, okay, yeah, he's still doing Charizard things while I'm gone. So, yeah. That's, yeah, thank nice. you. Now, as far as your, uh, like, app, um, is that at school as well? Um, are, do you get to, are you able to talk about some of the stuff that you might have been studying and what you've been working on? If you've been, you know, like, uh, are you able to talk about like, are you, are you technically in the clinic now? Or yeah. Not yet? So, yeah. yeah so with, um, the way the UF curriculum set up, so my second, my first half of my third year, I was in the clinic, so I was rotating and then. In January 2022, I'll be re-entering the clinic. So UF splits up the clinic time so we can um, have some breaks for our board's exam that's coming up. And so we have a little bit more time to focus on that. But um, we have our ZooMed zoo department there. So I was able to, um, we, were, we work with wildlife. So, you know, birds of prey, tortoises. Mm -hmm. um, we get pet reptiles coming in. Like I got to work with a Galapagos tortoise that was in, some several snakes. Um, nice. Thank you. And, um, yeah, and then um, throughout my other years, my first and second year, which were primarily in the classroom, I would go into ZooMed to help the department, to help volunteer and just to get some experience working with these animals. So I definitely, it's not, the vet school curriculum is definitely much more focused on your domestic animals, so like your dogs and your cats and your horses, your cows, but for those that like exotics, you, right. there is the opportunity to work. And there's a bunch of other conferences as well that you can attend and clubs and things like that. Thank you. Very nice. Do you keep anything else besides no, Charizard? No, I, I just have red Redakis for the moment. Um, once I'm a little more settled, maybe like when I have a job and just a little bit more settled down, I definitely want to get him a girlfriend. So I definitely, I mean, I have the monitor lizard bud, so I'm going to get, I want to <laughs> kind of just keep some Ackies still. Yeah. I could imagine uh, monitors in school sometimes don't uh, exactly match up if you had a bunch. So <laughs> probably yeah, keep it pretty and I busy. mean just space. I mean with him and then all the insects I now have, it, he takes up like half of my of my living room. So it's definitely um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a lot for me. Yeah, man, one breeding pair would take up a whole wall yes, if you let it. Very true. Yeah, so. yeah. If you were to basically do it, and it'd be a whole season, right? Um, if you, let's say they were just to hook up, you got 30 days or sometimes even 15 or 20 days in between four or mm. five clutches, you know, where it's a clutch, 20, 30 days, another clutch, 20, 30 days, another clutch. Um, and then, you know, when you're getting the eggs, it's one thing you have to have the incubator space for that, which is a little refrigerator. Mm. Right. Um, and then, uh, and then babies. baby cages, <laughs> once the babies come out, you know, you're going to have them. They're going to come out so fast that you probably won't even be able to sell mm. the first ones. Yeah. And then you end up with three or four clutches that are all different ages, so they can't go mm. together. And then they have to be all housed separately. So it may sound great. You just have to have a, an avenue oh, yeah. and an outlet for it. 100%. Yeah. Try not to hang on to all the people. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, as, now, when you're uh, working with, like, a – you're just kind of doing the vet, the vet's grunt work, right? You're kind of just, um, what, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like more specifically, what are you all, what are, what else like, are you as, as a vet student, like I'm collecting like the history from the owner. So I'm like talking to them, especially specifically with ZooMed. Like I'm talking about their husbandry, asking like, you know, the types of bulbs they use, size and closure, types of substrate, eating schedule, just getting them the overall problem. Like why the animal is coming to the clinic today. 
I didn't get to help perform a physical examination, like just essentially just looking the animal over, listening for a heart rate, looking at the breathing, palpating the animal, like the belly, everything like that. And then well, just yeah. about everything. Yeah. And it's right? just like, we kind of yeah. are like, it's like, it's like a doctor with baby, like training wheels on it, essentially. So like they like ask us, like, what would your plan be? So then we get to like propose this like diagnostic, like whether that be blood work or radiographs or a fecal exam. So we get to propose yeah. that to the doctors and the residents and then they'll, Either like say yeah they'll green light it and then they'll call the vet or they call the client client and then or they'll be like hey we should add this and then they call the client so at least in the clinic it's very much like you're just kind of it's like with training robot essentially yeah okay for um, for the listeners out there and I think some of the um, if I mean if vet, other vet students and stuff like that as well for reptiles it's not only just the you know the internal problem but it's the external that's it's also the conditions and what's external that is probably also mm. causing the major problem um it's a lot of times major conditions that uh, control just about everything so let's say if you were to give them all the right medicine um if you were to just put them back in the same conditions that started all that you're not helping anything um so it's you know I'm obviously not a vet, but I've been able to help a lot of people over the years, hundreds and maybe even thousands of people now. But, you know, the, the one thing I've seen is I can help you change up everything, your entire enclosure, get it all, you know, done up well where the animal is going to respond well and and um, essentially thrive, right? But let's say if you know their immune system was down or or they even could they couldn't handle um, all that heat and everything like that and they basically just perished you know um, it is a little fine line between um, conditions and then putting animals that were in those conditions used to something and used to that into something totally different um, sometimes it can even kill them just because they're totally not used to it um, for for me, it's been it's been a little bit difficult to acclimate some animals for sure you know um, a lot of a lot of people want to go to the vet right away when they get stuff um, I don't recommend pumping your animal full of medicine right away but I you can go to the vet maybe get some fluids in them um, see how you can maybe get a, a liquid formula food that you can give slight injections to if the animal isn't eating so you you have to put on weight right mm -hmm. for these mm -hmm. animals to get um healthy enough to handle the harsh medications that will be pumping yeah. into them you know that's that's just the only the only thing to do would be to try to get food into them liquids in them hydrate them somewhat get their gut bacteria up a little bit right um because it's going to be pretty messed up when they're imported so they're all really jacked up mm -hmm. you know I, I actually have that going on right now. So I think Monday I'm going to the vet. And sorry to interrupt, Kai, but it was, um, it was uh, you brought that up. And that's actually the position I'm in. So I have some imports and uh, most of them are doing well. Uh, there's one who he will eat sparingly, but he's not getting the same kind of um, weight gain as the others. Um, and he's he looks lethargic, you know, you pick him up, there's tongue flicks and whatnot, but when he's just in the cage, he just looks lethargic overall. 
So I've done um, Pancure, uh, which kind of just easy as far as the deworming process for basic stuff. Um, but now I'm at that point where, okay, I'm not seeing what I want. He's not gaining weight either. So it's that, that time to make a choice for me where I'm like, okay, time to go to the vet because what I'm doing, he isn't improving. I don't have access to some of the stuff that a vet of course can have, will have access to and can prescribe. So yeah, there's that balance. Ideally I want to get, um, you know, new animals hydrated. Uh, I want to get, uh, some weight hopefully back on them and then like kai said to get that medication into him but i think with this one i'm at that point where mm, he's not gaining weight the way i want him to so go to the vet work with the vet to um to tackle the problem you know and with that understand now this vet also has a lot of experience with uh with reptiles which is in my favor you know um and for the listeners out there if you can find someone that does highly recommend that you do that in advance before a problem. Um, even if it's a little bit of a drive or, or whatnot. Um, but also don't let problems go too long either. Well, you know, I'm talking to the listeners, uh, don't wait until you need to get in. You're in that life or death situation. Um, sometimes, you know, getting ahead of everything, it just means making that appointment, getting them in. If you're not seeing what you think, or you're seeing maybe a problem coming up. Um, so that you have more time to deal with that while the animal's still functional. You don't want its internals to start shutting down and you think it's still alive, but it's basically yeah, on yeah. its way out. That's super so, important, especially right. with reptiles because, you know, they're, I mean, all monitor lizards are very much like they are mammal, mammalian in a lot of ways. They are still inherently reptiles. Yeah. So their metabolism, they're, the way they process things is a lot slower than the way a dog would. So, the way pretty much they present disease very slowly. So they could be sick, but you would have no idea until they're on death's door. So that's, yeah, I 100% agree. Right. And, you know, to kind of touch on like some resources you can, for the listeners, like they try to find like a vet. So if you Google like the ARAV or the Association of Reptile and Amphibian Vets, they actually have a find a reptile vet or find a vet function on their website. So you can plug in your address, nice. you can plug in your zip code, you could plug in a certain mile radius. And so that could be like a 10 or it could be like a 50 mile radius even. And it will show you all the vets that are yeah. members of this group. So like the association itself, it's different. It's not like every, not all the vets are going to be specialists. Not saying that specialists are better. You, know, you can quality veterinary care from anyone who has sufficient experience with reptiles, but it shows vets that have an interest in them. And so then from where you can look at the website right. and really try to help understand that. And also just a simple Google search. Like if you find type in all exotic animal hospitals in, you know, insert city you are from that can help you narrow that down as well. And then from there, it's really just looking at the website and then just seeing what types of services they have. And like, you know, cause then it's like, do they, does it just have a thing like we see exotics or do they actually go into like a lot of detail of like what they do for exotics and like what kinds of animals they see. And it's like, you know, for, you know, yeah. most, at dog vets, you know, when they're talking about reptiles, they're talking about like your bearded dragon, your leopard gecko, your ball python. So you can always call the clinic and be like, hey, I have like an acne monitor, or I have an Argus monitor, or I have a mangrove monitor. Can I bring this animal in? And then the vet will, you know, they'll say, yes, we can see that animal. So, and like they're usually pretty clear of like what animals they will and will not see. So those are just ways you can find that. And like you said, it's important to have that beforehand or something comes up because like we were talking about, like when they do present, 
with a lot of things, they're usually like it's usually really critical. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I hate being in that. Situ- I've been in that situation where, unfortunately, I've had the animal on on death's doorstep, and I didn't know what I was looking at. I didn't see the signs early on enough. Um, and yeah, it's one of those things that it's just it breaks your heart because um, you're losing an animal, you know. And there's and you're at that point, and sometimes there's just nothing you can do exactly. at that point. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's for the listeners out there. Try to get ahead of that. Um, you know, another thing, Eric, that um, I know because I, I have in the past had to use other vets for things is that vets also, in my experience, they do talk amongst them, like the group of vets or they reach mm-hmm. out to each other or they have access to information, papers, uh, whatnot that you're not going to find necessarily online, even, uh, you know, yeah. they're usually behind some kind of paywall mm. for us to get to. Um, and I understand there's, there's safety concerns, you know, you don't want somebody just, uh, <laughs> what would you, the equivalent of like, um, what is that web MD for yeah. your, your reptile and then go stick in your reptile full of, you know, all kinds yeah. of, uh, treatments. Yeah. That <laughs> you know, like some, so, sometimes, uh, I think we'll have the best is to go with somebody that's probably already had the experience that you're about to deal with, you know? Yeah. Um, what we can do is ask the network of friends. Um, that's going to be a starting point. Now it's not going to probably give you all that, all of everything because the typical keeper is not an academic vet person, you know, uh, well, but they may have experienced it. And then can essentially be uh, someone that you can relate your problem to, but you probably won't be able to figure it out 100% with them. So what I can recommend you do, let's say if you were in the be some of the worst predicaments, which would be you live in the boonies and you can't get to a reptile vet and there aren't any in your lonely state or something like that, right? Um, which many keepers fall under. Okay, that's because reptile vets are very far and few in between. Um, and so what you can do is start with your initial network of friends and experienced keepers that have gone through that. Yeah. Right. Okay. And then you'll go to the vet, any vet you can ask for x-rays still. And as even just to get a little quick overview or measurements, all those things you can still have on hand. And you can still have a typical vet do that. Um, You may have to help them restrain the animals if they're not up to par with holding certain reptiles. But, you know, all those things are still within your capabilities, even if you don't have access to a full-time reptile vet. Many vets will still offer this. So um, I would still take that advantage if you can get those necessities as far as um proof or actual definitive answers and you know weights and you know blood type work and all that stuff like that fluids and kidney fluids if you need to um and then take it elsewhere take it to another professional or take it to someone that can possibly help you out with with more answers um but you know try not to just sit there so hopelessly you know Mm -hmm there are quite a few things that you can possibly do um this is just what i've done in the last few years 
is even if somebody didn't have the answer really i put all the answers together myself by puzzling uh, everything and then i did find a good vet that will eventually help me out you know and then all my answers were basically answered yeah and all my now, questions were answered eric what are what are some uh i got a couple yeah, questions for you basically but what are some of the major i guess misconceptions that you've run into having uh, you know um or being a reptile keeper yourself and then maybe the hesitation or what's in because i know i'm guilty of this myself i was very uh well it would take me a lot to get into a vet to to fix anything yeah, um i just figured, dead. right right dead, so yeah what what can you share with us that uh, some of the things you run into or some of the things you want people to know mm. out there about what a vet is going to do for you? Yeah, and your so I think I can kind of like kind of talk about like the misconception and just kind of talk about like what a first visit would be like. But um, I think a common misconception is that vets are gouging for money essentially and like trying to upcharge a lot of things. And it's like, you know, we vets like i think vets they love all animals and they're going into this profession not for the money because compared to like medical doctors and pharmacists and other people we they are we are vets that are making much less money for the same level of schooling and everything so they're you know they're also a business at the end of the day too so they're just trying to make ends meet and also you know when we go to a human doctor we have health insurance that's taking down a lot of the charges exponentially so then when you go for an animal you don't yeah. have that insurance it's it's like a kind of like a like a tech it's like oh my gosh what is this but i think it's just like the fact that we kind of almost take for granted because for our medical care we have health insurance so it's like when we are playing full price for these things it's like oh my goodness but i think another thing too is that you know ultimately as the client you have the authorization to say what you want and what you don't want so you you know the vet will work right. you know the vet's going to offer everything that they think that is possible so they're going to offer all the diagnostics that they can offer it, offer all the blood work, the fecal examinations, the radiographs, they'll think, offer everything that they will think is just so then they can get to the problem and make a definitive diagnosis for you. However, like, you know, a lot of people don't, you know, for vets, a lot of us are like, we love animals, we don't want to deal with people, or not a lot of, not a lot of vets, I should rephrase. Some people are like that, but you know, every animal comes attached to a human. So you have to have people skills and work with that, work with the person as well. And you can create a treatment plan that will work within the budget of the client and also then help animals. So you're mm -hmm. helping both people. You have to help both the animal and the person. And so I think, and I did some externships over the summer at an all exotics animal practice. And so, and you know, when we saw quite a few reptiles there and what typically would happen is like, you know, you get the, you know, you come in for the first time and then the vet, you know, we talk about husbandry, we just talk about the different conditions and then, you know, talk about, you know, then talk about your, the husbandry of the client and then, you know, provide, positive feedback, provide some critiques if there were any, and then just talk about like some of the stuff that's just required for like an annual, you know, visit. So usually whenever the animal came in, you know, we'd take a fecal examination of it if it, they brought a poop sample. So just to look for any parasites, look for anything, because even captive bred animals, a lot of parasites will use insects as like a compost. So yeah. even a captive bred animal can end up getting parasites from just insects. And so, you know, they do that, they just perform blood work, because like we were talking about, they have like disease processes take a long time to develop in reptiles. So if you have annual blood work from year to year, you can see like, hey, this blood value is going up a little bit. Let's investigate further. So I think it's just super important that the vet is is on your side and like they're going a good vet will work with you and not feel like they're pushing you into 
a certain treatment plan because they ultimately, you know, you're you're the person that has the final say with the animal. The vet is just there to provide you their expertise and they're going to like recommend, they're going to recommend like we should do all these diagnostics, but they also have to take into account, you know, we all have finances, we all have things that we can and can't afford. So to make the optimal treatment plan given the circumstance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know one of the things that's also out there, maybe not so much in the monitor world because of the, the price jump uh, per se, but possibly with something like a Savannah monitor or Nile monitor, the unfortunate and ugly truth is sometimes it's easier for someone just to let that monitor die or expire mm -hmm. and then go buy a new one, you know, um, rather than go through the process of going to a vet, making those appointments, spending that money. Uh, it's, little one of those cringe things but i mean um it happens it, year it after year how much you love that animal you know yeah um i mean it, not it and not everybody honestly can afford it it's just it's just a, it's just a medical expense you got to count it as something possibly really high you know um luckily with mine so far it's been pretty inexpensive all right i've been i've been able to walk in and out of dr greek's office with x-ray blood work medicine the sit-in which is typically really expensive itself right and for right. like 150 200 bucks not bad um, i felt that that was compassionate in price um but in an area where i used to live in before in san jose all of that which would be the consultation alone the medicine possibly right not not even an x-ray and then you know just your typical um run through of blood work and all that stuff like that would cost several hundred bucks yeah easy, you know um so it, it could be different everywhere i think some people just charge a certain price of what they have to what they have to make to just to pay you know keep the roof over themselves um, but then there are prices that you know seem just just really out of uh, out of cost for, for what you can really afford you know um you know, you may be worth it to go around a little bit. It is kind of exhausting, but go around and do diligence and find a, a, a vet with, you know, what you're getting is great service and that should match the price, you know, stuff like that, where stuff weighs out. You, you, yeah. you don't honestly want to be going in there and just expecting them to create miracles for a hundred dollars. You know, it's uh, it just, there's so much that, that happens um and that needs to flow for for their business to run you know so yeah right it has, think, it has to make sense i think there's you know uh eric you've probably been around it and you probably see more of it as you progress and into private practice and come up with your own decisions and things you have to do like you said it is a business but in my experience a lot of the i would say um exotic animal vets that i that i have been to they are very willing to work with you or yeah. they're you know they're they might say yeah we we want you to get an x-ray but it's pretty obvious that your animal needs this so let's do this first and then uh, let's just make sure your animal pulls through and then we we can worry about an x-ray afterwards or they seem they seem very compassionate the ones that are good uh, they seem to also last for a while. I think sometimes where people and I'm I, this is an opinion, so take it for what it's worth. Um, what I think a lot of people struggle with is that we're used to keeping cats and dogs, 
our vet visits are usually based on that experience with a cat or dog. And I've been to those vets where, you know, it's this guilt pressure. Um, Oh, don't you love your animal? And it's like, you have to do the, the x-ray, the, uh, look at the poop, pull the blood, thyroid this. And you, like Kai said, you know, it's a thousand dollars and you don't know what, <laughs> yeah. why, why, what, what is iodine treatment for? It's, it's, <laughs> it's tough, you know? Um, yeah. Some of those things would definitely add up, especially if it's like several, several parts to it. Right. They got to just go through um, and, and essentially eliminate what's what you know what's right. not the problem and then try to try to try to figure it out even more um and, well, what well, i guess where i'm going visits you know where, where i was going with that to um to eric mainly was like do you think that someone that has experience with reptiles further on down the road is going to be able to look at a reptile and kind of say okay this is what your animal is going to need and be able to tailor whatever treatment more to that animal rather than maybe you do live somewhere where a vet doesn't exactly know what's going yeah. on with the animal. So they're asking for these tests because they don't actually, they want to find out for themselves. I think it's like on. a, it's like a, there's a yes and no to that. So like definitely as mm-hmm. you know, people gain, as you gain experience and definitely as I've gained experience, like I'll see reptiles and I'll see some of them that come through. I'm like, okay, like I already am creating like a differential list of problems, potential problems. So when you have like a pretty good idea of what's going on, you can have that little bit of diet, you know, you can say like have a short list of things that you need to do to then find that problem. However, if it's like an animal that's just like, it's not doing right. And you know, it's just very lethargic. There's nothing really popping out at you externally. Then it's like, you kind of have to add a little bit more of those diagnoses to kind of get a better internal picture. So like the blood work typically, you know, they're looking at, you know, for signs of inflammation or infection, they're looking at organ function, like the liver and the kidneys. They're looking just for like, if there's a month signs of muscle damage, you know, for the radiographs, we're looking at the bone quality. We're looking to see if there's a potential, like a mass that's inside. They're looking for eggs, things like that. And so it's like, mm-hmm. I think it just depends yeah. on the animal. So it's like, you can have a very clear list and then just, you know, some things are like, you know, they present one way and you're like, okay, boom, get, do this test. All right. Yep. It has this list commence with the treatment but for some animals it's you need to like kind of have a little bit of a better picture and you know from there you know the vet should then talk to the client like look we can you know we don't have a definitive answer based off the initial exam however we can do these diagnostics or we can you know they can prioritize it so you know they can do all the diagnostics at once they could you know start with like what is the most likely and then if, if it doesn't improve then come back and pursue further diagnostics so it really just depends on that client-vet relationship, and then finding out what's best for the client that will then ultimately help the animal. And I think, too, I think, you know, there's definitely, like, you know, all vets are not created equal. So, you know, for me, hand me a giant lizard, I am all, you know, I'm happy as a camper, you know, but, you know, it's like if you give me a horse, (laughs) I'm, like, a little bit more hesitant, you know, I'm not going to be as accustomed to reading that animal's behavior compared to, like, a monitor lizard, but classmates who, like, read horses, like, you know, like that, so... It, I think, you know, just knowing that, you know, there's like some vets that will be a diet where it's like they'll see, you know, your, the occasional very rare bearded dragon or leopard gecko. And so like they're very, you know, they're not as well, you know, not as well versed in reptile medicine or husbandry. So they're not going to be as 
knowledgeable, you know, per se, for someone who's very passionate about it. And then, you know, like someone that's really passionate that's not a specialist or someone that is a specialist. So definitely, and, you know, even if you can't bring your animal to a specialist right away, if you find like a regular vet, like you were saying, Kai, but then like you say, hey, who do you refer exotics to? Like there's a big network of vets. They'll say, oh, we bring it to so-and-so. He has a good exotics department. So I think it's like a lot to answer your question, Alan. I think that was a long-winded way of saying it, but it's like it really depends on the case. It depends on the experience level of the yeah. vet with that species and like that group. Because even though reptiles are very diverse, they have the same kind of physiology and the same kind of medicine principles to them. So it really just depends on the client, depends on the um, the patient itself, and it depends just on the experience level of the vet. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yep. Kai, you got anything to say? I could go, I could go with no, another question here. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, now, your experience, obviously, with keeping Ackies and being the monitor keeping podcast, you know, specifically, um, is there a difference? Like, like you said, biology across the board is pretty similar in a lot of things, you know, um, but is there a difference that you've noticed specifically maybe with monitor lizards because of their uh, almost mammal-like um, capabilities as far as um, um, just their day-to-day, you know, active. Like, like I'm, I guess what I'm trying to say is an Aki will run around a cage, you know, uh, nonstop if it's mm-hmm. set up right. Uh, it's constantly active. So is there a difference, I guess, with monitor lizards because they're kind of different in themselves? You know, there's not too many other things out there that is just – like a monitor i i'm a little biased as you can yeah, tell no we're definitely in the right spot talking about this <laughs> but, um yeah. there are some differences so like i you know i recently brought my lizards to the vet we got radiographs and you know they are very much different from a lot of other reptiles like anatomically so a lot of reptiles their heart will sit more in their pectoral girdle like right, right where their chest is but for monitor lizards their heart's more positioned like a mammal in their thorax and, um, you know, like they are, they have the same similar intestines, but they're like the inside internally, they're positioned more like a mammal than they are like a reptile. And I mean, the, you know, when you see monitor lizards running, they have that ability to like pump air through their lungs so they can breathe and run at the same time. So physiologically, they're designed to be these high efficient running, you know, these very efficient predators. So it does play into their medicine a lot. And like some blood values are different in, you know, different for monitor lizards than for other lizards. Like I think when I brought my reptile to the vet, they have like a little bit higher, um, they have a little bit higher calcium compared to other reptiles, but it's normal for them. So that's important too. So yeah, there, there are definitely some like physiologic considerations when you're dealing with a monitor lizard versus, um, versus the bearded dragon so like you know if someone takes a radiograph and they see like a, the mass you know the heart in them of a monitor lizard they compare a bearded dragon to a monitor lizard like what the heck is that and it's like oh it's just a heart it's just a monitor lizard thing yeah awesome that that's super interesting to me because obviously with the focus in my collection being on monitors same with kai to know these type of things but also to find a vet that understands these same type of things um and how it affects an uh, animal different. You can't just maybe apply veterinary medicine across the board just because it's mm-hmm. a lizard. Or I guess even with snakes, to, to veer off of monitors for a bit, you know, you have some snakes that are highly active. Uh, you could say um, something like a, well, dry marcon. 
um, as opposed to like a, a rubber boa, mm. you know, uh, and how medicine might work differently on those animals because of yeah. how they operate. Like, how so the specific there's thing. like, different, yeah. So like, like you were saying, like, so like, you know, different animals will have require different doses for medications. Like they will have different blood value ranges. So like something that's abnormal in like one species will be the same in the other. Um, you know, so that's definitely true. I think overall though, they have the same basic physiology. And I mean, kind of trying to talk about a difference again, it's like, you know, they all have different differences in husbandry. So understanding, you know, it's like, that's the thing I love about exotic animal medicine. It's not only the medicine side of it, but it's like, you have to kind of understand how this animal lives in the wild and how, you know, the constituents it needs to thrive in captivity. So it's, you know, it's also analyzing that and saying, you know, a lot of times you can, you know, like what Ty was saying earlier, it's like you have to correct the husbandry too, because if you don't correct the husbandry, you're not going to treat the underlying, you're not going to treat the underlying issue. Yeah. Yeah. Another, yeah. I guess uh, one more it. thing I'll rattle off real quick is, um, you know, the, the, I think sometimes people don't understand that different species of animals also have, I guess, a certain life expectancy yeah. too, uh, or uh, long, longevity. Um, where, you know, some of these, you might have some Australian dragons where they have a life expectancy of like four years. <laughs> yeah. And then you might have something like a, um, somebody's iguana that's going on 15 years or, um, something along those lines. Uh, how does that affect treatment? How does, I mean, maybe that's not the right question or, you know, because things pop up just like in in other species. I, I was going to say humans, but across the board in living mm. things such as cancers, um, tumors, or other problems. How does that play into reptiles and the different and I species? I think it's like kind of the same principle. So you know, all old animals are going to have a higher likelihood of developing neoplasia and like cancers, and like younger animals are going to have a lot more infections, things like that. And so I think. It's like for the for a reptile vet, they need to understand, you know, the husbandry for that animal. They need to understand the life expectancy because, like, like you were saying, like a four-year-old iguana versus a four-year-old water dragon, like it's it's different. So I think kind of like keeping that in mind, and then kind of creating that differential list from there, and then kind of going about it differently. So it's you know, it's, for dogs and cats, it's easy. They're all one species, but for reptiles, it's like you have to know the life expectancy, the husbandry. You have to know how to care for them. So then you can tailor that medical care to that specific species. Man, that's well, a big yeah. world, <laughs> especially yeah. with us trying to get, you know, our hands on the next latest and greatest or new species. These poor mm -hmm. vets, uh, <laughs> you know, here's this little yeah. micro gecko, please treat it. <laughs> you can't. You just gotta right. let it take its course. Yeah. So it's hard. Uh, sorry oh yeah like okay. another big thing too that i love is like phylogeny is super important for exotic animal medicine so you know you may have never seen like that little tiny micro gecko but let's say it's related to a crested gecko you know you can apply a lot of the medical principles on a crested gecko to this and then you can so that's why it's like super important to understand how things are related. So, you know, like a monitor, you know, if there, you know, let's say there's a new species of monitor lizard that enters the pet trade. If you find out what it's closely related to, you can then have a, a basic guide and scaffolding for how to treat it medically and like how to, you know, how to deal with it then. So that's a super important thing. So even though, you know, 
a reptile vet is not going to be an expert on every single species that is there because there's thousands of species and no one brain can hold all that information, but they can have the general approach and principles and then do the research and read and then kind of fill in the gaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that uh, a lot of times I forget is that, you know, cancer probably or a tumor probably shows up looking like a tumor no matter what animal you're looking at or uh um similar things you know uh, the way different infections or worms present themselves i'm sure is pretty similar across the board mm. as well so um yeah just to, to encourage the listeners out there that uh, like you were exactly what you were saying just because maybe your vet hasn't worked with your type of monitor lizard um, doesn't mean that they don't know what they're looking at as far as in the blood or on an x-ray, something similar yeah. like that. Because all that other stuff is pretty general. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so, and even like to get to specifics, I think, let's say if a female is going through certain, you know, reproductive uh, time periods, her, her, her blood and everything like that will come back a whole lot different. Yeah. As well, so, right? yeah. And that's like the thing with reptiles too, is like they're, you know, like the way that calcium and phosphorus and ionized calcium, so that's a lot of times like vets will look at the ionized calcium because in the body, that's the active form. So the way that that changes in a female, you know, like a female lizard, a female monitor lizard, just from when it's a baby versus when it's not reproductive, reproductively active versus when it is, those changes are definitely very indicative of its overall status. And then like looking at radiographs and just all of that. So those diagnostics help paint a picture. So it's definitely very all of it definitely changes as the animal grows and goes through those cycles. Man, okay, Kai, you go, because I got more questions, but I'll take up the no, whole... No, go ahead, go ahead, man. <laughs> well, okay, uh, Eric, is the, is the vet world as polarized sometimes as the social media world when it comes to reptiles? I, I guess maybe to break it down further, like uh, whether it's... Um, Food items, um, UV, uh, tubs versus cages. Um, what, what's the, what's it like on that side? Of I things? think in terms of like the husbandry things, I feel that there's not as much controversy. I feel like vets, like, I mean, at least the vets that I had worked with, they usually take a stance and then they'll just, they'll like, it's like they try to keep up with the advancements. So like they'll push what's, what's the most current and what's the most recent. So you know, I'm, I joined recently like an advancing a perpetuological husbandry page on Facebook. So I can, as I go off into practice, I can stay on top of, and I have resources to stay on top of, you know, new changes in current things. So I feel like they, you know, as a reptile vet, they will, you know, we read research papers, we kind of are trying to stay current with what's the current husbandry standards, you know? So I think there's really not like a big controversy. I think we're, they're just trying to provide the highest like you know what's the most recent what's the most like has evidence to support that this is what these species will need mm -hmm. awesome i think we would all do a lot better talking to vets sometimes before we get it myself included <laughs> get out there and, and say too much about one thing mm -hmm. or the other um but that usually doesn't stop me i usually just run my mouth and uh, <laughs> um what what I guess so far has been something that you've had to deal with. That's just uh, been, I guess, interesting or thrown you for a loop while you've been it, reptile yeah. related. 
uh, as far as a case that's come in or something you've had hands um, on? I can think of two right now. So actually, they're actually both like my pets, but um, they were my pets. One of them, I had a, so he's not a monitor lizard, but he was a, a Euromastix. And he, you know, he was, you know, I got him, I'm pretty sure he was a wild caught. He was an oscillated Euromastix. I'm pretty sure wild caught, but he was doing fine for, I had him for five months. He was doing great. He was gaining weight, doing all these things. And then I just noticed he was sleeping in the cool side of the enclosure more. So I brought him to the vet. We did blood work, nothing alarming. And then I just kind of watched this animal just go from this very plump, happy Euromastix to just kind of wasting away. And now I brought him back and he had this big septic oh, overall systemic infection. And I unfortunately had to euthanize him, but it's, you know, it just kind of shows, you know, these animals are very resilient. They'll show, they don't, show signs of infection until last minute and you can do all the things you know i got radiographs on i got blood work we did antibiotics we did pain medication but sometimes it just doesn't work out so like that's you know like i think we mentioned it earlier but you know we're not you know we're not a miracle worker we you know we're you know we're just like a human doctor we're going to try to do everything in our power but sometimes there are things that are not even you know are out of our control and i think um the other story is actually just recently with my guy my my aki charizard I just noticed he'd just been acting like more lethargic lately and he had just been putting on a lot of weight. So I'm like, okay, let's bring him to the vet. And so, you know, I, we did radiographs. He, you know, we did blood work and it was fine. And, you know, it just showed he had some extra fat pads inside. So he was just a little chunky. So he was a chunky boy. So I'm just, you know, adjusting my husbandry, um, you know, cutting back, putting on a little bit of a diet and it's working and you know i'm adding some other um climbing branches some more enrichment for him to run around on so it's just kind of you know it's i think both of those stories are just you know monitor your animal just have a good idea of what their normal behavior is like and then kind of from there you know if there's something that you know you try to change things up a little bit try to rule out what things you can do on your end and then when it's like out of your court you have to you know go to seek professional advice mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Good stuff. Um, are you, are you planning on doing any type of, um, um, burmation, hibernation, cooling down through the winter here? So I live in Florida, so I, I don't really know if I, I'm like trying to figure it out. Like, cause I have been doing a lot of research on it. Well, you, so what you're going to do is, um, I guess now you, yeah. just, you just start cutting yeah. back your food cause you're going to go into a colder weather. And maybe go back, start by the days, like let's say if you're feeding what, three to five days out of the week. Let's say if you well, – what are you feeding now? Five days I had, out of the week? Initially, I was feeding every day, and now I'm kind of – I transitioned him to an every other day, and then I'm giving him two weeks of that. So three Yeah, four, and, right? and I'm going to – I'm transitioning him like every other day, and then I'm going to try to keep him definitively at three, three days a week. So I'm just wanting to give him some time. Okay, and then what you're going to do is um, – Let's say as you're now five days a week or every day, you were pretty warm, right? Or hot. hot. We'll, we'll take it as hot. And then as you're going to go lower as far as how much you're going to be feeding. So now only let's be strict. Only three days out of the mm-hmm. week, right? You're going to do this for a few weeks. Um, but your temperatures have gone down a little bit. Naturally, the temperature should have already been going down mm-hmm. outside. So... Um, I'm not sure if you're not. Uh, it, it's a really different, difficult time right now because the weather is transitioning into cold. Mm. It's not exactly fully cold yet, right? So there are still hot parts of the day, and it's you know it's still 
can peak and get warm faster than it is would be in like January. So um, you're still slowly going down from here. He's going to be eating a little bit. You can do like two to three times a week, yeah. which is okay. But you'll be eventually getting to December and into January. And that's basically a good time to call it quits on the heat. It's it's been, it's going to be consistently cold, mm. typically anyways. It's going to be consistently cold. And then you can get down to like once a week and just a fraction of food. Um, basically make him also work mm. for the food too. So he's burning energy for just enough to keep him to keep him mm. going. Um, and then once you're into January, uh, like let's say end of, end of December and January, you've cut down your temperatures a lot. Now, not only are you using a bulb that's a lot less than what you're currently using, right? But you're going to make the distance in between the bulb and the basking spot also a lot further mm -hmm. away so it's basically less hot overall and they just can't be basking full-blown mm -hmm. anymore it's more like 100 110 ish 115 um and if it is back to 120 something like that where they can get up to a good metabolism rate it's just for a few hours of the day so your timing like let's say if in full-blown season it's 12 14 16 hours a day which is very typical for a lot of keepers. Um, I myself use good 12 to 14 hour days, um, sometimes even longer. But when you're at that point, you know, you, you're running so much. But when you get to the slower end of the year and you're, you're basically going to be putting them through a sort of a winter, you're only going to have your bulbs on for like eight hours, maybe 10 hours, just several hours of the day, maybe the warmer part of the day utilize the cold at nighttime as your advantage to cool them down and keep them constantly cold right because you may be using your heater um, if you be using your heater you may want to turn or open the window that's right near him or something like that and have that draft hit the cage keeping the cage cooler now um, what are some cold points I, and i don't want people to just go from 70s and 80 degrees on the cold side to 50 and 40s but some of the cold points here are 50 degrees as far as how cold they can go um but they still get to bath during the daytime they're gonna wake up it's a little slower but they still do everything and this is the basically their time of famine and they're eating less basking less doing everything less and it's all gone down tapered slowly um again i don't recommend anybody shooting your animal from a perfect whatever it's been to all of a sudden it's cold just don't flick off your lamps you know do it do it slowly like you would do a tortoise going into hibernation how you would do snakes before you would uh, breed them like colubrids and some boas and pythons things like that these animals are basically going to be tapered down the same way but in a difference they still will bass still need to drink and you can feed them a little bit just to maintain some good muscle tone and weight, but not enough to get mm. fat on. And that's how I'd recommend you do it in Florida where you're mm. at. Um, your days would probably still be kind of warm, but your lamp won't be. And right? you're going to be controlled. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it was just uh, off that comment where you said there were some fat pads. It's just something – I don't have the the – of course, the educational background that you have at all, 
Um, so that'll lead into another question here in a second. But um, what, you know, some of the things I've experimented with, talked to other people about and with Kai about is, you know, reducing that fat. We both have had fat animals at certain times. And it's like uh, you just can't get them to, to really shed that weight the way you want to. You can put them on a diet, but it was keeping the temps the same as just feeding less. And it wasn't really taking that weight off. Um, but then went into like some type of cooling or reducing it. And it's like that, that weight gets burned off. Um, and then when you bring them back up, all of a sudden there's your good looking animal ready to go. And so, uh, through the cycle of doing that now, um, you can kind of attack that issue, uh, a little better. So, but that's just what we're seeing and that experience. But now with that being said, how does the, uh, I guess the the veterinary side of that for reptiles does it take those things into account as far as the seasonal changes in those I, I guess it's kind of specific yeah. to the animal so I don't know how you'd apply that to everything that comes in that you'd be yeah, seeing. Yeah, I haven't really had but, much experience with seasonality and changing of the seasons with it, so I, I can't really speak much on that at all by any means. I think it's interesting. I think. I look forward to, um, as I guess, medicine for reptiles progresses and o- overall, like a, like you mentioned, a holistic attack also our care for these things to treat the animal. Not only, um, you mentioned the, the lights and enrichment and everything, but as things progress, um, to treat that animal, well, I guess almost not even treating that animal, but basic husbandry mixed with, you know, what am I trying to say here? It's, it's like, like it's like the preventative. Yeah, it's like taking <laughs> just like not just like it, not just training the enclosure as its own separate little worlds, independent of what's happening outside. It's like taking what's happening outside and the seasonal changes and applying that to your enclosure. So it's like you're changing it like that. Is that like what you're trying to say? Yeah. Kinda, because I've had the conversation with some keepers who are keeping a lot longer than me. Um, there was a common thread in a lot of animals, especially dwarf monitors, such as um, the Kimberleys, Pilbaras, and such, that you would hit like this two-year window. You'd, you'd get your animal up to, to breeding size in six to eight months even, you know, um, keeping temperatures hot, feeding a lot. You're starting to see eggs. And then at two years, it's like you got a burnout female, for the most part, the females. Maybe the males too, because um, I guess – you know, semen production could be affected by that type of thing also. But talking with keepers that have been doing it for quite a few years now, um, not only the male's semen production, um, the viability of the clutches that they were getting, um, but also the weight on animals. And, you know, we were seeing this trend basically where, yes, you can get, you can run an animal, you can get maybe six clutches a year from the, the same animal. But then a lot of keepers were hitting this this two year mark where it's like their animals just dropped off. Now they have babies that they're raising up and they can kind of replace. And that's where you see all of a sudden um, morph market or what, one of these classified things. Somebody's selling a proven pair of adults. And you're like, why would you sell a proven mm-hmm. pair of adults? Well, maybe the, there's this history that popped up where they're not doing things the same way. They're burnt out. Um, do, you know, I. I'm wondering if veterinary medicine for reptiles is going to take some of these things into account and how it would, or 
maybe you're just your thoughts on I all that. I think definitely that will come into the husbandry. And I think that that ultimately depends. I think that is a case-by-case basis. I think for someone that, you know, is a breeder or looking to breed. So, like, I think that just depends on the client. And I think that depends on the species itself, too. Like, you know, so not every, you know, not every animal, I think, will, it just depends on the life history. So, like, some animals may need this seasonal changes. Some may not. It depends on if you're trying to breed. But I think that applying kind of that type of changing in the temperatures and the seasons will help kind of overall just improve the husbandry. And so that's then in turn going to help with the veterinary carriers and veterinarians then can recommend how to, I can help be a guide in this process as well. In addition to other keepers. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. I just, I see it pop up. I I have my own thoughts, of course, opinions. I don't share all of them, (laughs) but (laughs) um, things like uh, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I should. <laughs> Go ahead, Kai. Save me from this before I say something. <laughs> no, man. It's a, it's this this topic is a is a tough one because you know there's so many ways that people do things indoors and outdoors and yeah. Um, look at how much we have to go through to set up one enclosure, right? With the advances of how things are, by the time a vet had to learn it and how to learn it process it reteach it in a way for the vets to all comprehend and then have them transfer that information to the people that are needing it in like in situations right we'd have already discovered something else and then they'd be a timeline behind us until of a person like you eric where you're a keeper and you want to do that you know it, it has to be like uh, I think Dr. Greek is also a keeper over the years, you know, and I think he's just seen so many things over the years that there's almost nothing that he hasn't seen yet somewhere, you know, Um, and being able to have a vet go through every single little detail that we have gone through with our setup just to set it up for the animal. I don't think most are, are in tune to that just Mm. yet, you know, Um, and that's where, um, Things can go a little bit wrong um, where how you would normally do things and how the vet would recommend it is basically just, just doesn't match up really, you know, Mm. Uh, that's, that's for, for me, it's been a tough one as far as um, that's a being on your level with how you are with husbandry or things like that. You know, I think some people just see the, um, stuff at shows or stuff in pet stores and think that's that's all that there is to it when um, you know that's our that's the baseline mm-hmm. that's where we're starting at but how we are now it's just totally different it's like a, being a zoo right having a whole um, I have the, the back end the medicine the the proper lighting the caging understanding humidity my automated system every you know things like that right my incubator um, I'm doing things here, not not that says the zoos aren't, but it's basically a small facility, right? And everything here is somewhat promoting wildlife, right? And so, um, yeah, it's a tough one, man, where it's hard to find a vet for most people that is, that's going to be able to have that click for you within your own setup and being like, all right, this is what you're going to have to change, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, some yeah. things are might, might be really simple, but some aren't you know um like having 
adequate nesting for females. You can do everything else. You can have everything all tuned in, but if the female doesn't have adequate nesting and all of a sudden holds the eggs and retains them longer, then that's a crazy vet visit for you. You know, that's going to be a pretty expensive one too, if especially if you go through and get the shots. Um, yeah. And so, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's a tough one because what we're talking about monitor husbandry wise, this is why we have the podcast is because um, there it's just new information out there. No one really knows yeah, this. And like, it's a, yeah. Like, no, yeah. yeah. Keeping in husbandry, like veterinary medicine and husbandry are both related because it's constantly, you know, learning new things, you know, cause veterinary medicine, like from, you know, when I started vet school even is different from what it is now. And, you know, from, vets who graduated like maybe 10 years ago, like the medicine they learned initially in school is different now. So continued education, like going to conferences, like I know for exotic vets, at least there's like things like exotics con. So like a bunch of different exotics vets will get together. They present topics and current new changes and things. And they have like wet labs where you can practice new skills. And like, there's other things that like practices will help you learn. Like they call them continued education. So they'll send you off to, learn new things so just like husbandry where it's like we're learning new things and have to see how this works for different species and apply it when we can it's the same with veterinary medicine so for exotic vets it's twofold because you're not only trying to stay up to date with all the new veterinary advancements that are being made with the diets but you're also trying to keep up with the husbandry to then promote the best life for these animals i like it i like it i there i think there's so much out there that can um one i mean it just takes time. It takes, um, we have now in today's world, we can talk, we can, uh, interact. Basically you can interact with anybody across the world, uh, in real time to talk about things and to share experience. I look forward to, especially, I, I would think the next, you know, 10 years and beyond as far as, um, where technology and medicine are kind of meeting up, um, being able to, uh, pick things apart with, DNA, um, um, I just, you know, some, we talked about some of the, uh, other podcasters, of course, some other, um, um, veterinarians that are hosts of some of the other podcasts and have been sharing some information. I just find these things, you know, uh, <laughs> are you a fan of, uh, uh, Zach Lofman? Um, I don't, I don't know if I'm familiar with the name. No. Okay. So he's, um, uh, there's the Colibrids and Colibroid um, podcast, and he's um, one of the hosts on there. And there's a bunch of just information that he starts going in, like these rabbit holes, right? And I just find myself like all of a sudden I'm listening to salamander stuff. I, I don't, I'm never going to keep salamanders, you know, but I'm, I'm glued to the podcast, listening to like what where his mind goes, how he's thinking about things or approaching things and what he has set up around it. And it's just, it's exciting to me because I like where someone like you in your position um, with a monitor focus and now the, the veterinary background can take your own thoughts, almost influenced by monitors, but like specifically and pave the way in a new direction that maybe somebody hasn't really done yeah. before. Um yeah. I find exciting. And, and that's where the technology also um, where you're able to pull things apart, look at DNA, look at, uh, of course, the blood, um, mm -hmm. different things, 
maybe even whatever uh, samples from wild animals can tell us um, from preserved animals, you know, it's like, okay, pull the DNA, look at an Aki that was collected, you know, somewhere in the 1980s, um, pull some DNA from that and then pull DNA from uh, a current captive animal and see what's the same, what's different, what that can actually tell us. Even if there is a difference, can we even understand what that means right now? You know, I just, I don't know. I'm going on a rant now, <laughs> but I'm glad. That would be amazing. That? that would be cool. I, I'm very happy that you're, you're a monitor keeper and doing this. I hope uh, I will stay in touch with you. I think I've been following you anyway on, um, we'll, we'll get to that at the end where people yeah. can find you, but um, outside of that, what are your, now that, you know, you're, you achieved what you've achieved education wise, what are your next steps as far as monitor keeping? Are there things coming up that um, you want to do? I think definitely get a female for my, for my guy. I definitely want to breed Ackies. I definitely, I've had dabblings of whether I want to go into something a little bit larger, like a black throat, something like that. Um, it's all just kind of up in the air. Like I haven't really decided anything, but I definitely know in my future, I want to have more Ackies and I, I, I love the reds. I mean, I love, I love all Ackies, but like I know yeah. the reds just have my heart, but um, definitely just kind of keeping up with those. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks, awesome. man. Yeah, so I, whenever you're ready, man, just let us know. We'll help you get set I up with that. It. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, I Actually, the, the listeners can't see it, but we can behind you. You have yeah. your setup. Um, looks like, a, if I'm not mistaken, one of the Zen yeah, Habitat four by cages. Two by two. I can just move my computer up to, to show you guys. So, yeah, it's a 4 by 2 by 2 I got my hydrometer and thermostat for the pool in there, just monitoring ambient heat. I got a dig box, got some artificial vines, some cork rounds. I got a um, artificial rock ledge that he usually likes to climb up on. Like these wood pieces here, I just um, recently got. He has a little hide, got his water bowl. Um, I made some, I made a reed stack out of some slate rock that really helps um, keep the heat in. And he usually likes to hide in the rock stack. He's just hiding right now. And then I got some bulbs on the top up here. Got a spray bottle. I'll spray it. My temp guns. And then, um, Got my roach bin there and got some grasshoppers in there. So got a whole little setup nice. up here. <laughs> nice, now, man. Uh, go ahead, Kai. No, go I was ahead. Just gonna, um, looking at it from here, I see a series. It, it looks like uh, a scene from Close Encounters. Uh, you got all those bulbs up there. What are you running? This, if I'm not mistaken, it's a four, yeah, four, four by two yeah. setup. What are, you, what are you running up so there as far as bulbs? I got um, two UVA, UVB mercury vapors um, right above the rock stack, so that's providing mm -hmm. the main basking spot. I got an LED bulb and then some other lower wattage bulbs and then one kind of like higher wattage bulb just to provide some other, you know, like not as hot as the rat reef stack, but some other like basking spots that he can go to so he has choice. I, I have a lot of different, you know, he can climb up and down the reef stack, he can climb up onto the rock ledge. He can climb up and sit up on top of the fork rounds. He, I kind of wanted to provide him a lot of different basking opportunities and different temperature gradients. And then he has the dirt and the dig box that he can get down to to get cooler. So I just wanted to provide a lot of different options for him just so he can choose where he wants to be. Like thermo Yeah. I like it. I bring it up because there's so many up there. And a lot of times you'll see somebody running like mm. one bulb, you know, 
Uh, and you have a, I think five or six up there. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm currently running one or two mm. bulbs um, in most of my mm. setups. Um, maybe uh, four at the max for like the eight foot enclosures. Um, yeah, that's the way I, but where I live is hot and dry. It's still hot today. It's, uh, what is it? Mid November, mid November. And, uh, we're at 90 degrees today. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's not really a scorcher, but it's November. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I also bring it up because, um, obviously you got a healthy animal. Kai, you got healthy animals. I got healthy animals. I run one bulb in some four footers. Um, I run like three bulbs on some two or three footers depending on how they're set up, depending on whether they have um, full ventilation, open screen top. Uh, what's, your, or, what's your activity level within within that enclosure? Does the does that enclosure have a, a screen top? It does. Top? I did cover all of it. So I can, let me see if I can show you guys. So I have um, duct tape and I have aluminum foils. So I've cut holes where the lights sit and I've kind of put some cardboard down. It's so I've kind cardboard. of helped close a lot of that down and it really does help like it, it you know the enclosure stays at least like 10 to 12 percent more humid than my apartment does and so that's probably that's probably why you have to use mm, so much yeah um just because your roof isn't a solid right but picture if you were to use cages like mine mm. and allen um they're buttoned up so well and even if yours is cranking a lot of heat downward right you're still losing radiating mm. heat that would normally transfer back into the enclosure if you had a completely solid top, but you obviously have your lamps exterior to the enclosure. So um, obviously it's not being able to be trapped in there. If you were to kind of, uh, let's say change up your whole enclosure later on, you'll notice that all of those bulbs currently would be overkill oh, for yeah, four by two by two done the way me and Allie oh, yeah. do it. Right. That's why we only use one or two bulbs. Now the idea the idea is to create one good basking mm -hmm. spot, you know, pretty high, 130, maybe something like that in surface temperature. But the rest of the enclosure is 80s, you know, maybe 90s right near the bulbs, but it's still going to be mid 80s somewhat throughout the whole rest mm -hmm. of the cage. That's the way they kind of like it. Um, that's the know, efficient to, way. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the best way to do it without them, um, let's say, disappearing or have low activity levels because it is mm. so hot now i had a question is yours a really early riser but you don't really see him in the later he does, the day? yeah so like sometimes he'll come up he'll wake up like at eight you know lights turn on like maybe like eight he'll come up 8 30 he'll run around like a maniac for a while and like he kind of goes hides a little yeah. bit and then he'll maybe come back out when he wants like he just kind of figure he just has like different differences and however it's like a day-by-day -day thing like, yeah, typically he's very running around like a maniac in the morning yeah and then he's done later in the day right because it's just so hot i mean that's typical behavior anyways um see if you uh would able to bring is your does your cool side say 88 degrees it's right like now that, right? but i have definitely been modifying the lights up there i've been trying to add some more leds things that don't produce light i've been experimenting or or more so of see mm -hmm. how see how it'd be if you brought the cooler side to a darker 82 mm. degrees or 85 83-ish um nothing like 86 88 but try to see how he responds to it activity level wise and and then also uh 
how your humidity circulates through your enclosure. Um, it's just, uh, you know, it's because you have a lot going on. Some of the things may be hindered because of so much heat being mm. cranked in. Um, not to say that your animal is unhealthy or something no, like that. Yeah. It's just no, uh, very constantly evolving. Uh, and I just have like the right. setup I initially had him in, but the way the cage looks now versus when I first got him, it's completely different. So I've changed up a lot as I've learned more. And I mean, you know, it's constantly a learning process. So I've definitely have learned a lot. And I think definitely keeping a monitor lizard like Charizard has definitely helped me just kind of find those resources, reach out to people and just like kind of have that continued education type of mindset that I'll need throughout the rest of my life. Yeah. You know, I, it's, I bring it up also because uh, my, I have some enclosures at home. The, the ones I run at the warehouse are set up a certain way. Uh, they're set up for the most part. I'm, I'm moving towards efficiency. So I want to be able to trap in as much heat and make my enclosures um, where the, even my day to day, I'm taking all that into account. So I don't have to worry about the same humidity loss in the enclosures at the warehouse and whatnot. So trying to make it this, um, for my needs, perfect little setup where I can run one or two bowls. It traps in a certain amount of humidity, but it's something that I can adjust throughout the year as I need to also. So whether that means like lights inside the cages that are, um, able to be lowered and, and raised up, uh, depending on how close I want the basking spot or, or different things. If I have to change the water to the bulb and, and then change the height of the basking spot. But at home, I have a cage that looks exactly like yours just split ex in half. I'm running, I think, I think I'm running a hundred watt, like, um, heat emitter, uh, ceramic heat emitter, but it's on top. So the animal mm. can't get to it. Um, in the day I'm running like a 50 watt mini halogen, um, the led light, and then, um, one of those led, um, UVB lights, UVA, UVB lights. So I got the same thing going on, but it's, it's open top, it's glass. Um, so it doesn't trap in the same amount of heat, but I've, I've found that, yeah, you know, depending on your setup, you got to use the different things to achieve what mm -hmm. you want to. And uh, that's I'm always fascinated by it because you'll you'll see you know there's so many ways to skin a cat uh, is when it comes to keeping. Um, of course, talking with Kai, we're more efficiency minded because we'll, we need that to work, and it's simpler for us. Um, but there are some advantages to um, I think the the way that you know you have your light set up, you can achieve different things. Like you said, you can achieve different basking spots. Um, when you're keeping multiple animals in the same cage, I kind of like being able to provide not only enrichment, but visual barriers within the same cage and different basking spots because, um, those different animals can come out at different times. So if you have a real dominant animal, he likes to be at the top highest basking spot. Um, and he likes to just perch up there for most of the day. And then some of the other animals not, might not feel as confident or might, come out when he's not there just because they don't want to deal with him um, or they want to stay more secluded in just their habits. So they'll come out and almost turn into like uh, semi nocturnal animals. If you're running 24 seven lights or something. Um, but in those, you know, I, I think there's different ways to use these different yeah. setups and uh, that's, I love to see how different people are keeping different things and where you're at, you know, as far as location in the world, um, 
actually, what part of I'm Florida in the are you north in? central part right now? So like in like kind of, I'm like right, I'm like right at the border of the Panhandle right now. Okay, so you get decent change there's, in season. Like there's a couple of weeks where it gets into like the 40s or 50s a night, but then it like warms back up to the 70s. So yeah. it's definitely not like South Florida by any means, where it's just hot all the time. Like they're cool seasons, like 60. So like there is a little bit more variation in temperature up here. What what would you say like uh, your ambient humidity throughout the year? Where where what are your ranges? I, mean, I think it's like between like the 60s. I feel like for. Oh, yeah, no, it's definitely yeah, Florida is it's still very humid. Like um, where I'm in, like we joke around, it's called the swamp. And it's like, you know, during yeah. the summer, it's like, oh, my God, it is it is brutal out there. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's very interesting because like um, over here, especially with Kaizat, if he tried to run a, a fully open top enclosure for certain animals, it, it, <laughs> that wouldn't work too well with the humidity loss going on. You know, I think right now my humidity actually today it's okay, but here in the winter when it's just dry, there's no rain. I mean, ten percent humidity. You know, yeah. um, so That's we got to account. Yeah, we got to. You got to take this cage. You have ten percent ambient humidity. Your cage has to be able to hold in the heat and the humidity to function right for the animal, because otherwise, you know, it's just you know sucking that humidity right out of that animal too. So it's it's always interesting to me. I wish. Maybe we'll do some live stream shows, Kai, in the future to share if people are brave enough, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and and you guys don't mind seeing my my laundry in the back sometimes, <laughs> you know. Open book, good, open book here. Um. Yeah. So, Kai, was there some? I I've been talking and talking and talking. No, man. Uh, I feel we're like we're able to cover a fair amount with, um, you know, his uh, experiences so far and how he can how we're gonna help. Uh, you know, newcomers, especially when they need to go to the vet, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. tough thing. It's, it's really a decision comes down to, you know, financial and heartache and, uh, you know, dealing with the, the really tough situations that you have no clue what's going on. So, uh, yeah, man, I really ho- hope people, you know, have been able to gather a fair bit amount. Um, I know you're not really like a, a vet just yet. Right. But you've been able to experience a fair amount that, um, just about anybody can can gather from. So we really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Out. Thank you for having me. And I mean, I've been listening to this podcast for a long time. I mean, I got my grasshoppers from Utah and, you know, we've been in touch for a lot and I just love this podcast and I've seen your stuff, Alan, and it's it's great. And I'm just really happy I've kind of entered this world of monitor keeping. And it's just really great just to hear other people's perspectives and just see how they keep animals and hear about it. And it's great. Awesome. I'm so glad you enjoy it, man. Uh, yeah, so... Eric, um, real quick before we start wrapping this thing up, you had mentioned maybe getting a black throat monitor, a female. Uh, what what animal is it for you? As far as what what is that dream animal? Is it, it a monitor? Yeah, I'm, I'm a monitor guy. I, I I you know I've like I've had a lot of work, but I, I've worked with a lot of different reptiles, snakes, your you know turtles. I've worked with you know lizards. I've had I kept lizards and turtles, but monitor lizards have have taken the cake. I, I am 100% a monitor lizard guy. I definitely 100% will be keeping Ackies for the rest of my days. Whether I end up going into awesome. something a little bit larger, that just kind of depends on if I have space and the time and the money for it. So that's just going to be something I'll have to just research and look into in the future. But Ackies, oh, that, that's happening. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's awesome. They are they are mm-hmm. great animals. So, 
All right, uh, Eric, where can um, people so find you? So you can find me on Instagram at Charizard underscore the underscore Aki. So I have an Instagram account for my lizard. Um, you can, you know, message me there. Um, you know, I will not be able to provide treatment or diagnose animals. I can help, you know, guide you. You know, I could guide you like, hey, you should go to a vet. But I cannot say, I cannot diagnose your animal if you send me something. But, you know, you can connect, you can talk, you can share ideas, exchange things. But, yeah, that's where you can find me. Now, what if I just send you my animal? If you send me the animal, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I take care of it. I will have fun. <laughs> Uh, fix this here. Uh, just yeah, kidding. No. Just kidding. Um, no, I know. I know that's very mm-hmm. important uh, to share with with the people, the listeners out there. I know all of us try to cut corners and uh, you know tr- try to get that free diagnosis. And uh, uh, if you could just write me or send me a pad of the uh, prescription, <laughs> that'd be not for me, people. Not for me. For the animals. Um, <laughs> Kai, uh, how about yourself? We haven't. I didn't think we did it in the last two episodes. Maybe we did. Where can people it's find all, you? It's all right, uh, man. You're able to find me a little bit everywhere. Um, you can find me on YouTube at Mangrove Mecca. Um, let's see, Instagram at Big Underscore Lizard One O Three, and then I'm most responsive. Although I've been pretty responsive on Instagram lately, um, I'm most responsive on Facebook. So you can find me at um, just Kai Fan. You should be able to navigate my name through looking up the podcast and such like that. Um, and yeah, we'll be, be and glad Kai, to hear from some of you guys. What night does the does your show come on that people should uh, avoid oh, man, contact? I don't even, I don't know. <laughs> it comes on randomly now. It's like Hulu just releases it whenever they feel like it. Oh so, no! Sometimes I just wait weeks. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's like repetitively um, every week or whatever. But yeah, man, when I'm on, when I'm in my shows or when I have time to actually catch up to my shows, I need to be left alone. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Joking aside, um, you can find me at Origins underscore Reptile on Instagram and Origins Reptile on Facebook. Of course, you can find us here on the Monitor Keeping Podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, We hope to bring you some good information. Uh, Reach out to us with questions, critiques, whatever you got. Um, And I really do mean that. We we do enjoy them. We enjoy uh, reading through some stuff. Um, And I feel like anything that that anyone has to say, we can use to make it better or add in some information that maybe we're missing. So, uh, Eric, I hope to keep in touch with you. I'll keep watching, uh, your progress. Um, look forward to seeing, you know, you go through the experience of having eggs hatch and seeing little faces. It's awesome. It's, you know, really, really cool experience. So, um, all right. Anything else guys? Thanks everybody for having me here. Yeah. We'll definitely be